Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett. In this episode, I profile some of the stories of the Bay Roberts Chocolate Factory. Mentioned in previous episodes of the podcast, the Chocolate Factory was part of Joey Smallwood's New Industries. Following Confederation with Canada in 1949, a Premier Joey Smallwood's motto was develop or perish, and he pushed for economic development within the province through the establishment of new industrial plants. These plants included North Star Cement Plant and and a gypsum plant to manufacture plaster and wallboard in Cornerbrook. Other industrial plants included Newfoundland Hardwood Limited and Newfoundland Hardboard Incorporated in Donovan's, and Atlantic Firms and Electronics Limited and Canadian Machinery and Industry Construction Limited in St. John's and nearby Octagon Pond. In Conception Bay North, the Newfoundland Tanneries Limited and the Atlantic Glove Limited were established in Carboneer, and the Leather Goods Limited and Coach Shoes Limited and Terranova Textiles in Harbour Grace. In addition to these and other industrial plants across the province, Smallwood convinced Adolf Adler, an English chocolate maker, to shut down his factory in England and move it to Bay Roberts in Newfoundland. In June 1955, the Daily News reported, It is understood that some 100 persons will be employed in the plant. Approximately 73 of these will be girls, who will be producing the lovely Rhapsody line of chocolates, sugar candies, chocolate-covered nuts, biscuit bars, and all other chocolate lines which Adler's formerly produced in their plant on Nile Street, London. I had the opportunity to interview two of of the women who were employed with the Adler Chocolate Factory. Margaret Sparks, previously of Shearstown, currently living in Bay Roberts, and Irene Mercer of Bay Roberts, currently living in Shearstown, Bay Roberts. Both of these women left high school to work at the Chocolate Factory, and in the following clip, Margaret will describe how she came to work at the factory and what prompted her to decide to work there. Well, the Chocolate Factory was just down the back road like from where I lived to so it was no trouble to know when it was being built and when it was iron on. I was only I was 15 when I went to work there. I left school. Mom and them didn't know I was left school <laughs> but uh, you could uh, easily do easily do that because I didn't live that far away from the factory so and I was like in kind of like in between the school and the factory kind of thing so when well when they found out that I was down there it was only a few days uh, they said well if that's what you wants to do but I was in grade 10 at the time they'd rather for me to have went to school but I didn't but I done okay <laughs> While Margaret's family would have preferred she stayed in school, Irene Mercer's family were a bit more indifferent to the idea of her leaving school for work, as you can hear in the following audio clip. Irene suggests that at that, to- at that time it was more important for her to get a job and to start working than it was for her to finish her, uh, her high school degree. Like, we just left school and went to work, and at that time... Um, it seemed that, like with girls, it didn't matter if they went to school or not, and we weren't. I wasn't encouraged to stay in school. I just went to school one day in September, and I was going to go in high school, and 
then this job came up in the tractor factory and I said to mom I want to go to work and she didn't care so I went to work and like all the people that went with me all my friends they they were the same it was more important to go to work than to go to school was I mean times changed and things changed and today you wouldn't do that but at that time yeah went to school went to school one morning in September and uh, I applied for a job at the check factory and then when I got hired I just quit school and went to work grew up too fast really uh, I mean looking back if you had your time back you wouldn't do that but at the time I felt it was the right thing to do but things worked out and Alan and I have been married for 61 years, so <laughs> I guess it worked. By the end of February 1956, the first commercial production of chocolate bars was underway, and by April, the factory had employed about 30 people, mostly women. The Newfoundland Journal of Commerce wrote a glowing review of the factory, noting, It is spotless, just as a few plants should be. No doubt it is a shining example of how a clean and f- how clean a food manufacturing concern can be. The plant is geared to a greater output than at present and can produce tons of chocolate and candy every week. All ingredients are mixed by machinery so that the human hand does not come in contact at any time with the product. The female help all wear smocks and head and hand coverings. Irene recalls the woke white coats the, woman, the women wore, while Margaret recalled blue uniforms with buttons down the front. Both women vividly recall the head covering that they were required to wear. In the following clip, Irene will describe her uniform. Well, I could tell you what we wore. We had to wear a white, a white coat, and our hair was all done up in a like a turban. And uh, yeah, when you walk in, we had to punch in when we went in, and it was a huge building. It was all, all machinery. There was a lot of different machines uh, scattered all over the building. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. I enjoyed it. Like Irene, Margaret really enjoyed her time at the chocolate factory. She does, however, recall uh, that the uniforms were blue and that they had buttons down the front. The uniforms were blue, I think. I think a light blue in color. Cotton. And were they dresses or...? Kind of like a dress, but don't think there was all, I believe it was all buttoned up in the front, like or so far up. I think. (laughs) But if it was, they didn't mind uh, a button coming off and going down the chocolate. (laughs) So the hairpins. (laughs) I don't remember now what was on, to tell you the truth. I don't know. Maybe they went right down over your head. I don't know. I can't. uh, remember much better. I know the color was blue. In addition to the uniforms, Margaret remembers how they were not allowed to wear jewelry or hairpins, and in the following clip relays how a friend and her were asked to remove the pins from their pin curls when one was spotted on the job. Blanche Earl and and, uh, and me, like, we had used to do our hair up in the bobby pins, like twirled around your finger and put the bobby pin into it. So anyway, wherever we were going that uh, 
that night. We had to have our hair done to go. So, well, it was on the weekend, I guess. So, anyway, uh, put the pins, you know, you had the pins in your hair before you went to work in the morning. But you weren't allowed. You weren't allowed any jewelry on, or you weren't allowed air pins in your hair, or any anything like that. So, anyway, this one, uh, Jean, Earl, she went and caught sight of uh, a bobby pin somehow or other. She knew anyway that we had because they put um, it was like a piece of flower sack that they made um, a headband like a head thing for you and went right on over your head. You put uh, a peak part down the front, your forehead and then the rest come up around the back and, t- and you tied it on top of your head. So, of course, she went in and told Mr. Parler or Mr. Adler, I don't know which one of them now it was, to made us go into office, like, and take off our head things. And uh, we had to go then to the washroom and take all the pins out, out of our heads. The cleanliness of the factory is recalled by Margaret Sparks, who described just how clean the factory was, and the equipment that the women had to clean each day. And do you remember what it was like when you walked into the factory? Could you describe what it was like? No, not really. Only the smell. Hmm. Like you know, the it was always clean. It was wasn't dirty over there. It was always clean. This belt had to be done every day. Every day, I had to clean that. When, when you were finished making, doing the chocolate, you had to, the belt had to be cleaned. So I cleaned that one, and I cleaned the one that um, the Nut King was uh, done on. So, and how would you clean them usually? Just I think it was just soap and water. That's all. The chocolate wasn't hard to come off. Like the only thing I was afraid of when I'd have to clean it, I didn't have to clean the whole time, was the one with the candy, because that had uh, the knives that was shaped like that. So they kind of crossed over each other. Crossed over one another, and then when they. When you were cleaning them, you had to have them going too. Like, and there they were crossing over one another and they're crossing down. You know, you got a, a knife in your, in your hand trying to, um, get the caramel or whatever else was stuck on those knives off. The Blanche Earl, she, um, the Nut King, uh, cutter a roller rather she put her hand uh, she put her hand through that uh, but she was told like what side to stand on but anyway she forgot and she just day she's cleaned it and she's on the wrong side of it and she and she had a knife in her hand doing it and she didn't let go she let the knife pull her hand right through it 
uh, she skinned like all the she had all the bones broken and stuff like that in the top part of her head. And that you now I I was a good distance from getting to her because I I would say I was probably to lend to this house maybe even more before I would come to the door where you turn and uh, then have to come right back up to the, that end again. So uh, Rubes know he uh, he seen her and he heard her and uh, he grabbed her and uh, turned off the thing like and grabbed her and over up over his shoulder and went on with her. Irene Mercer recalls a similar accident which happened to a woman using another uh, of the factory's machinery. Oh yeah, there were machines all around and, and uh, there was uh, I remember there was a paper um, machine that wrapped the candy bars and my friend was working there and she had her fingers cut off. I, don't, I can't remember if it was one or two fingers. I remember that day really well. So what happened on that day? Well, the paper got stuck in the machine, and, and instead of getting someone to take it out, she tried taking it out herself. And, uh, of course, it was really sharp, so the blade came right down on her fingers. Huh. Things happen. But it was nothing like, you know, um, they took her to the doctor, and, and he she she was fine. Like it was just ordinary everyday thing. <laughs> At that time, it wasn't a big thing. An article titled New Industries in Conception Bay, published in March 1957 in the Newfoundland Quarterly, noted, Mainland visitors have recently commented how impressed they were with Adler's chocolate bars, and in fact were taking some back to their families. One visitor, according to the Sunday Herald, commented that, the chocolate in Adler's 10-cent bar was better than anything he had ever tasted, including Swiss chocolate, which is supposed to be the best in the world. This is high praise for a locally manufactured product, and it would appear that Adler's is off to a good start. In the following clip, Margaret describes her favorite chocolate bar, also known as the nut bar. And what was your, your favorite thing about working there, do you think? Eating the chocolate. <laughs> And what one, what chocolate was your favorite, or did you? There was the one they made, it was called Nut King. And I don't know if there's either one on the market today like it. It was all nuts and caramel. And that was put in under a big roller and rolled out um, to the thickness, like, and then it was chopped up in the size, like bar, bar size. Then it was put through on this um, line where you'd put it through and choke, coat it with the chocolate. And uh, when it come out the other end, then of course it was ready to uh, to package, like putting the wrap up. They, they were good and they were as good like when they'd come out to the thing first and they'd be right warm the caramel caramels and the nuts like were were just like they were toasted yeah I loved eating those while Irene worked in a different part of the factory 
as she remembers the hazelnut swirls which were made by hand in the factory. And I know on weekends they used to let us buy the broken ones. They'd package them in a bag and we could buy them really cheap. I remember that. I don't remember what other kind of candy or the names of them. And then they did, of course, the chocolate bars. And I know one time they were doing hazelnut swirls. And a friend of mine uh, next to where I worked, she was doing the swirls. But they did them all by hand. Yeah, it was just like a dab of chocolate on the bottom and then a hazelnut. And then she'd swirl the chocolate around the top. Yeah. That was nice. Oh, they were delicious. <laughs> Margaret only worked in the plant for a few months, but in the following clip she describes the process she would undertake to coat the bars in chocolate. I coated and uh, put the chocolate on most of the, any bar that had to be coated with chocolate. I worked on that line. And um, I also put uh, trays out through that had like, uh, well, like what a dairy milk bar would be like today. That type, that type of bar. You had to put that out through and it filled up with chocolate. And by the time it got to the end of where it was going, it was ready to dump out of that tray and package. Known for its chocolate production, the factory also produced candy and looked into the erection of a potato chip plant adjacent to the chocolate factory. Margaret Sparks recalls the smell of chocolate as you entered the building. And what do you remember about the chocolate factory itself when you went in or what it was like? All the smells of the chocolate. Yeah, and then when when you uh, went home in the evening, if you had chocolate in your pockets, you could take it. And I always managed to have a couple of pockets full of chocolate of some kind. But they made wonderful chocolate there. It was lovely. The bars were really, really... Far beyond on what you can buy today, I think. Yeah, I don't think there was any any chocolate made like that was any better than what was made over there. Irene, who worked in the candy department, describes the variety of candy she would make each day. I worked in the candy department. I remember that we had um, huge machines that produced the candy. They were called Silver Mint, the one that I liked the best. It was like a mint candy. It was white with a black stripe. And, uh, yeah, they, that was my uh, first job, and it was probably my only job. Only when we weren't busy at candy, they would put me doing something else. But that was my main job. Although it's not confirmed, one local remembers Adler's producing a chocolate bar, which commemorated the accomplishments of Alexander Faulkner, the first National Hockey League player from Newfoundland Labrador. In addition to chocolate bars commemorating hockey players, Margaret Sparks recalls creating boxes of chocolate for Christmas. In the following clip, she'll describe how they would produce these different boxes. I worked in the candy department. I remember that we had... Um, huge machines that produced the candy. They were called Silver Mint, the one that I liked the best. It was like a mint candy. 
It was white with a black stripe. And, uh, yeah, they, that was my uh, first job, and it was probably my only job. Only when we weren't busy at Candy, they would put me doing something else, but that was my main job. Another local woman told a story about uh, a contest that Adler's had ran in which if you collected so many chocolate bars, you would be able to win so much chocolate. I believe it was a pound. And when she went to get the chocolate, she had this idea that it would be so big she wouldn't be able to carry it home. And when she actually got the chocolate, it was quite, I think, disappointing for her. She had walked all across town to get it. And then it was, you know, one pound of chocolate wasn't quite as big as a child's imagination might assume it would be. In spite of contests like the one described and claims of increasing chocolate sales, the future didn't look sweet for the company. Charles Bradbury had met his wife Elsie when she was working at Adler's. Joey had a lot of ideas, Bradbury told the National Post in 1999, some of them good, some of them not so good. Unfortunately, Adler's was one of the not-so-good ideas, and market problems resulted in its closure in the early 1960s. Adler, Adler Bars opened in 1956 and closed in 1960, owing over 890000 in government-guaranteed loan. In completing the research for this project, I went to the Center for Newfoundland Studies, where they have an entire box dedicated to some of Joey's schemes. One of the boxes contains lots of information about the chocolate factory. Within this box, you can see uh, maps of the land which was expropriated from different people in Bay Roberts in order to build the lots, or sorry, in order to build the factory. Some of the local names were Delaney, Marshall, Wilcox, Tifford, Russell, Cave, and Bowering. The chocolate factory was also built alongside the Canadian National Railway, and uh, it's now close to a ball field today and where the railway station uh, stands in Bay Roberts. One of my favorite pieces in this collection is a handwritten note uh, to Gordon Pushy, who was the Director General of Economic Development at that time in 1955, uh, from a local man, and it says, Dear Sir, with regards to your letter of May 2nd, 1956, concerning the price of land and the price of sum which you are prepared to give me, the amount being 700, I may say that I am satisfied to that amount. I was intending to use it myself, but you may have it for that amount. Hoping you will have good success in your industry, and maybe sometime in the near future, you may be able to place me with a job to cook to work for you. I remain yours sincerely, Mr. Cave. Although the plant mainly employed female workers, there were indeed male staff as well. Irene describes the the male staff mainly being, uh, you know supervisors and and things of that nature however <laughs> margaret suggested that perhaps they were there just for just for manpower just for hauling boxes and lifting things in reviewing these documents in the center for newfoundland studies um i came across uh, notes of a of an accident uh, what was called a freak storm uh, which actually tore the roof off the building and this was one of the other reasons that the the plant ended up closing in addition to kind of market problems I mean there were ideas of sending the chocolate uh, to the uh, national defense making chocolate for the national defense in Canada 
unfortunately this uh this windstorm kind of took the the good out of the the plant and and the company uh which was already not doing uh, uh fabulously at that time after the plant's closure there were suggestions to sell the plant uh, several different places kind of had a look at the building and the facility um, and just as it closed, this is when they were just uh, thinking about opening up that potato chip factory next door, uh, which did not actually happen because you can see as you read through the notes that this, this storm took the roof just as they were uh, undergoing those discussions. Um, but as I said, uh, several people had a look at the plant and uh, had an idea for what might, might go there was uh, a select food factory. And this was in 1964. They had a, a look at the factory and they considered it for uh, production for things like pie fillings, uh, jelly powders, custard powders, and cake mixes. Unfortunately, before the building could be sold, it, uh, it was burned in a fire. And uh, in 1970, you can see that there was actually the final payment from payout, I should say, from insurance uh, as a result of that fire. Although the factory didn't last in Bay Roberts, uh, you know, for very long, I think the effects of the building and not only the building, but the employment that the uh, plant uh, gave and the opportunities that it gave, uh, especially, I guess, young women at that time, uh, has had a lasting effect on Bay Roberts. Uh, certainly there are people who rem recall uh, the factory and, and in particular, you know, eating the chocolate and tasting that delicious chocolate um, described as better than Swiss chocolate, as we've heard today. Um, Mar Margaret and Irene both said that they really enjoyed their time there. And Irene, in this following clip, will just, um, I guess, end things off and let you know um, what it was like working with, um, uh, you know, a tight-knit group of uh, friends and a, and a group of women and how they would all kind of uh, travel to and from work together uh, to get to the chocolate factory. And at lunchtime, if it was nice in the summertime, we would go out and sit around outside and have our lunch. And, you know, we all got together. And there was no cars at that time, or we didn't have a car. So we all rode on our bicycles up to the chocolate factory. It was probably, well, it was three or four miles, bef you know, from home to ride the bike. but. Yeah, it was hard in the winter time, but sometimes we walked. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode on the Chocolate Factory in Bay Roberts. And if you have any uh, memories or you know someone who worked there or worked there yourself at Adler's Chocolate Factory in Bay Roberts, you can give me a call at our office, which is uh, 1-800-739-1892, extension 5, or you can email Tara, T-E-R-R-A, at heritagenl.ca. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And uh, if you have any suggestions, please let us know. Thanks. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. 
Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>